Two Brothers, One Mike is a weekly podcast put together to help motivate and inspire our listeners both mentally and physically in the hopes of helping you be the best you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Two Brothers, One Mike. I'm Joe, and as always, my brother, Coach Tony, is here. Tony. Hello once again, everybody out there in T-Bomb land. We promised you an interview about the carnivore diet. And I hate that word, Joe, carnivore eating lifestyle. Uh, and we delivered. Just two episodes ago, we discussed the carnivore eating lifestyle. And, uh, and again, I can't stand the word diet. Uh, it, it never works. Diets don't work. Let's make Let's just be very clear about that. But we discussed so much about this eating lifestyle. We discussed the benefits to a certain extent. Uh, what the concerns were to a, to a certain extent, and, and we provided links to a Healthline article to give their take on it as well as a sample day-to-day menu that our strictest members of this eating lifestyle may follow. We have questions, and we mentioned our guest today when we did that show, probably 12 to 15 times, Joe. If, if nothing else, we have provided our listeners on Two Brothers, One Mike a drinking game when you think about it. Every time you hear her name, okay, you have to take a drink if they listen to that particular episode. I didn't realize it until I listened to the show. Yep. Uh, but, hey, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, with us today is a young lady, a friend, and a colleague of mine. She's a certified health coach specializing in teaching clients holistic approaches to better self-care and well-being. She has a special focus on the largest organ in the body, skeletal muscle, as a key to health and longevity. Her individualized wellness plans include interventions using low-carb, high-quality protein diets, supplements, mindfulness practices, and resistance training to improve health, reduce chronic disease risk and boost overall energy and wellness by focusing on building and maintaining a healthy body and mindset. Now, in her her daily coaching sessions, she leverages evidence-based medicine with emerging cutting-edge science to restore metabolism, balance hormones, and optimize body composition with the goal of lifelong health and vitality. Now, she works with people of all walks of life, from seniors who want to improve their health in order to age independently, to overweight and pre-diabetic adults who need to manage weight and improve lean body mass for better health. Her clients also include emergency responders, which I know personally, like fire, EMT, and police officers who benefit from her whole body, whole person approach, including basic nutrition, interventions, and personalized behavioral action plans. She's received her master's in exercise physiology and wellness from the University of Akron, Ohio, and is a certified health coach, personal trainer, and yoga instructor. She earned her undergraduate degree in experimental psychology from the University of South Carolina, Go Cox, where she studied the relationship between chronic disease prevention and emotional management. I think, I think she is very much qualified to talk about today's eating lifestyle. As an Ohio-based health media and radio contributor, she has been a regular expert on local news, public education TV, and the airwaves. Her subject matter expertise ranges from meditation, stress reduction, exercise, brain health, sleep hygiene, to the importance of maintenance of lean body mass to support our health and longevity. 
She sees clients in Northeast Ohio and Western Pennsylvania and resides in Poland, Ohio with her husband, who is a professor at Youngstown State University, Mr. Michael Butcher, and her one-eyed dog, Winky, who I've seen many times on social media. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Two Brothers, One Mike, Mrs. Amber, Landsman Butcher. Amber, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for the uh, wonderful I, introduction there. Though. I, I, listen, I told Joe, I said... I said, I'm going to make sure I say all of this because uh, this is your initial time on Two Brothers, One Mike. And I want everybody to really understand the lengthiness, the lengthiness of your resume uh, and what you bring to the table. So that when you are talking about this stuff, you, it's, it's very well known that you're you are somebody who definitely has a background, has the experience, has the theory under her belt when it comes to why this may or may not work for each individual based on their own individual goals. So. That's why I wanted to make sure they really understood. Um, I, ha- I have one question before we begin. Sure. I want to know the story about Winky. How how did Winky come about? Um, uh, one day I, I saw you guys on Facebook and there was Winky. How did that happen? Okay, so Winky, yes, he is my um, one-eyed junkyard dog. He uh, was <laughs> a, a rescue dog um, from a hoarding case in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Um, so he's super strong and resilient in the sense that he could just being a dog hoarded in Cleveland, right? Yeah. The weather and the harshness of this place. But um, Winky was rescued by a shelter here in our area of around Youngstown. Okay. And I was desperately needing someone to hang out with me. Okay. Um, while my professor husband worked into the late hours at the university and uh-huh. I was home alone. Okay. As you, as you may know, my family's out of state. So yes, I, uh, I just wanted a little critter to hang out with. And my husband tried to convince me to get like um, a gerbil and like a rat <laughs> and you know all these different crazy animals that were like not not cuddly yeah and, um i said no and i just i started looking and i found winky and i've kind of always been um a fan of underdogs i buy like the charlie brown christmas tree also like at the <laughs> christmas tree farms i'm the one looking i got you park. yeah and so i was like this dog's perfect for me and he was yeah. about four pounds he's a little chihuahua mix and he's just had a really rough life, but he's a senior. And so he wasn't as um, appealing to most people to adopt because he's an older dog and he has all these, you know, issues and has a, a broken trachea. So he coughs all the time. And wow. He's just got lots of little stuff going on. But yeah, he became my best friend and my buddy outside of my husband. And, uh, you know, he's lying next to me now wearing a sloth sweater. <laughs> okay. Because uh, we're getting snow here today. And yes. Uh, He's super chill. He doesn't let anyone else touch him besides me, though, so he's very territorial. But that's what uh, I needed, and what's and I saved him, and he saved me. So Yeah. Uh, well, awesome. That's an awesome little story that I didn't know about. Um, yes. And so now we know all about the one-eyed dog, Winky. <laughs> yes. uh, and so that being said, getting into the meat and potatoes, well, no potatoes here, no right. pun intended. But with all that I mentioned that's under your belt – uh, when in that in that interview in that uh, opening introduction, what when did you first start realizing your passion with the fitness and well being industry and your drive to help people in that aspect of of their own lives? Yeah, so that's a great question. This kind of started. I was always interested in sports mm-hmm. and um, 
interested in nutrition, but only from a, a staying skinny perspective when I was a kid. Okay. How can, how can I just, you know, eat a certain way or not eat a certain way in order to just be lean? You know, uh-huh. but when I really started wanting to understand and learn how the body worked was after I was diagnosed in my late 20s with breast cancer. Okay. And when I came out of um, years of treatment and surgeries to kind of get my life back and I had to go through chemo. So I lost all my strength. I was not able to basically stand up without being breathless. I, I really knew what it, what, what it meant to have your health and then not have it anymore, especially as a young individual. So I really pursued after that, um, educating myself on what, health looked like outside of what I knew of it beforehand. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I started uh, doing my own personal research. And I was, I was, I was always a runner um, in my twenties before cancer. And then I had had some running injuries that were persisting. So I got into weightlifting also okay. after cancer. And that's when I started really seeing some of the benefits of um, building my muscles and maintaining muscle and getting stronger after cancer. And a doctor told me after my mastectomy, I should never lift over like six pounds with my left arm for risk of lymphedema. And of okay. course, I, I'm, you know, a former athlete. So you tell me not to do something. I'm like, I can do more than that. Yeah. Uh, And I, I definitely can. I'm a witness to that as we were workout partners at times and you definitely were lifting more than six pounds. I'm tattletaling on you as we speak. Um, yeah, you, uh, definitely a hundred percent all go in the weight room for sure. So yeah, definitely. Um, you were definitely undermining the doctor's orders. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was pushing 65 pounds overhead one time, in one of our workouts in that YMCA basement yeah, together. Yeah. Um, and I was, you're like, dang. <laughs> yeah. But, so yeah, that's kind of where it started. It started out in my own pursuit to improve my own health. So I could prevent this ever happening again, first of all. And second of all, it just, it, it really ignited this, this pursuit of, trying to help others become Uh stronger after, you know, you're faced with what feels like a death sentence at the moment when you hear the word cancer, but Mm -hmm. like, it really motivated me to go, how can I be the best, best version of myself Mm -hmm. and maintain this as long as I can. And I never looked back from there. That's when I went back to school and got my master's degree and just, you know, I knew right after that, I was going to be in wellness. And that's when I did a little bit of fitness competitions and stuff like that, which was not good for my wellness. But it was a challenge in the sense that I needed to show myself I could be strong and I could be confident after being a breast cancer survivor. Absolutely. And that's, that's, you know, amazing in itself, uh, let alone where you took it. So you're living this lifestyle of fitness. And uh, obviously, through the all the theory that you've studied, as well as how you have the experience under your belt when it comes to nutrition and, and actual exercise in your own journey. When it comes to the, you know, lifestyle of fitness, we realize that there's experimentation, right? It's science. And with science, you know, we experiment. So you have to take you know, all the principles that come with science, and you have to find what works best for you. Uh, so that being said, what what led you to what we're talking about today with today's subject, the carnivore eating lifestyle. What led you in that direction? Yeah, so I'll try to keep this as um, summarized as possible. But Mm -hmm. um, without going into a lot of detail, I 
since about the age 15, I've had eating disorders and struggled with eating disorders mm-hmm. um, throughout my whole life. And so that was something I never was able to really escape completely. Even after cancer, I still struggled with uh, sugar addiction okay. and just compulsively um, binge eating and using sugar and refined carbohydrates and junk food. Mm-hmm. And so after cancer, I really did change my diet. That kind of motivated me in that area, obviously, also. And so initially, I went on to what is now called more of like a paleolithic style diet. I ate real food, things you could pick, raise and grow. And I tried to do that um, almost as much as possible. Right. And then I would, I would have these setbacks with my eating disorder and I would be back in the food or back in the sugar. And then I would try to go back onto a paleo diet, but paleo diet had allowed me too much freedom with the food. And by this time I'm in my thirties and I'm doing the paleo, um, way of eating again, things that come from the earth, all Mm -hmm. real food, minimally processed, except when I was in my eating disorder. And, um, I started having, um, in my mid thirties, I started having musculoskeletal problems, lots of pain in my joints, lots of pain in my, um, my ligaments and tendons of my spine. And that started causing a lot of, uh, discomfort and chronic pain for me. And, um, I had a lot of overuse injuries too, because I was just training too hard and mm-hmm. with, with, with my brawn and not my brain. Okay. So I was paying for all that stuff in my mid thirties and I was still, you know, hurting myself with this, um, reoccurring eating disorder I could not break free of. So I started experimenting then with lowering my carbohydrates, even as a paleo dieter, but it didn't work for me. If I put too many in and even sweet potatoes and stuff, I would still get cravings for, for, uh, more carbs. And it was too much sugar basically um, being digested in my body, even if it was from real food. And so I experimented. I remember one Thanksgiving, maybe five years ago with a keto diet and it lasted for about a week because I didn't understand how to do it uh-huh. um, right for me and my body and my needs. And um, I was doing high fat, but I was eating like sticks of cream cheese and butter. And, you know, it was like, I never felt satiety and I'm somewhat of a volunteer volume eater. I do enjoy eating to satiety, meaning I'm full, right. not stuffed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and with keto, it was like high fat. I never felt like I was having a meal. I always felt like I was having like these high fat and small meals that had lots of calories in them, but it also didn't feel sustainable training wise. I didn't feel good. And so okay. that lasted about seven days. And I got off that and went back to paleo because I didn't really know what else to do? You know, I just knew real food was always a great place to start. And about three years ago now, I was having a lot of joint pain still, chronic pain in my joints and back. And this is now from about 2013 to mm-hmm. three years ago in 2018. And um, it was debilitating. You know, you know, we, we did athletic training together and I could hardly stand sometimes. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, I had to quit my job as a personal trainer and I got into the wellness industry and I'm a health coach full time now, which is why I absolutely love and I'm fully mm-hmm. into it and passionate and grateful that I was pushed into this industry because that's really what I wanted to ultimately do also instead of just training. And I um, 
was three years ago, I was in Tampa traveling and it was after the Christmas holidays. It was early January and I was in Tampa on a work conference Mm -hmm. and I had horrible bowel issues and I was eating like big ass salads, Yeah, you know, with like, like salad bowl, like Olive Garden salad bowl size salads for okay. myself with like protein on it and nuts and seeds and avocados and olive oil and cheese and everything. And, but I would eat that and I'd feel full for like an hour and a half and then I'd be craving more stuff. And, and I'd have horrible IBS too, after eating all of these raw vegetables and cooked vegetables. And I mean, I was almost becoming a little more leaning toward reducing my protein and eating more vegetables because I really thought maybe I was eating, you know, maybe I should pull red meat out. Maybe I should pull this out, you know, and I didn't know what to do. So I came home from Tampa and I noticed that when I was in Tampa at the hotel, there was a moment where I was having the hotel breakfast, which was just like a buffet. And I was just having eggs, which had no milk in them and bacon. And that was my first meal every day that I was at that conference. And I had no IBS. I didn't feel bad when I ate that meal. But every other time I ate out, I tried to stay eating, quote, clean, real food, right? Mm -hmm. And I would still get digestive issues and gluten would sneak in things. I had already removed gluten. I had already removed a lot of those foods and lectins from beans and things like that. So I was free from that, but I was still having digestive issues and chronic pain. And I noticed that this breakfast didn't give me any of those side effects. So when I came home, I said, I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm just going to eat protein for a couple of days, you know, and see if I can clear this symptom out and not have these IBS cramping, bloating, um, constipation, uh, digestive issues. Okay. Um, so I came home and I just quit eating anything but meat. And, and it was, and when I say meat in, in my reference, I mean, anything with a face, so okay. all the vegans out there are probably cringing, but I, I just said, you know, I will eat anything that's a shellfish. Um, I will eat fish. I will eat, as you described on the Conor um, podcast last week, mm-hmm. you know, I will eat anything that was a living animal or shellfish that, that roams, that flies, that swims. Um, and I just started doing that. And then I looked into actually whether or not this was a way of eating. And I saw and found that lo and behold, there were people out there that were called zero carbers before the carnivore diet name became trendy in the last uh-huh. few years. People were doing what it was called a zero carb diet. And it was a smaller community on like Reddit and things like that. And it, it was, you know, for the extreme, you know, it wasn't very popularized because who would want to think about eating no carbohydrates. But I found all these um, like history of people posting on Reddit about eating zero carbs. Yeah. And that is where it all started for me. And then, you know, I started seeing some of the benefits after the adaptation period. And that's how I got into it. I got you. I mean, and, and that's, uh, there's a lot of information there, but a lot of important information because there's people out there that are thinking, well, why would this work for me? And just now there may be 10 people listening to the show that are in that same journey you're in. And so they may be thinking, well, maybe this may be a pathway for me. And so that's why it's important that even though it's a lengthy journey that you, that you went through, it was a necessity because people need to hear why it's working for other people. Um, you, you listened to that show that we you just mentioned that was actually i think two episodes ago uh streaming on two brothers one mic and now you and i have had a conversation about this but but for our listeners today uh what, what joe and i did was we painted a picture in that show that 
in its strictest of terms, the carnivore eating lifestyle allows zero carbohydrates. And you just kind of talked about those people um, a minute ago. Is that is that absolutely necessary? How do you how do you approach this eating lifestyle to make it more sustainable for people or, or for yourself? Should I say? How do you do it? Yeah, that's a great question because I think often, and you guys touch this too, that you know. I think it's a starting place for some people. Like I had to go there with this strict elimination diet, mm-hmm. first of all, to get rid of all the symptoms I was having and to improve my health and start from scratch. And the original human diet included animal protein in it. And it just made sense to me. I, you know, I just pulled everything out. And, and for me, it just, it was, it wasn't, strict that I couldn't deviate from it. It was a personal choice. As long as I was feeling good, I kept saying, I'm going to do it tomorrow because this is what makes me feel good. And right now I have less pain. And right now I don't have IBS. And when I do go off and experiment with too many other foods, now this could be controversial in other people's opinion because I don't (laughs) eat those foods anymore, that my gut bacteria has changed to not be able to digest them the same way. Just like if a vegan started eating meat, they wouldn't feel great right away because the enzymes in their stomach and the acids in their stomach wouldn't be ready and primed to go. Well, just like that, my body's not used to having, you know, grains and gluten and, and food coloring processes uh, in it. So I'm going to feel really crappy. Mm-hmm. But what I think I realized is that if I eat like that all the time, I would, wouldn't know how crappy I felt. But because I pulled it all out, I got to really see how my body was responding to certain foods, you know, so for me and for most, I would say people that try carnivore, it's worth trying it long enough that you can start to experience some relief and benefits because there are thousands, tens of thousands of people that have been able to use it to heal in many ways and to repair and to start feeling like they have better control, whether it's over an eating disorder, an issue with mood, um, pain, digestion, you know, there's skin, there's lots of, lots of benefits, but it doesn't have to be black or white. There can be room for like, for instance, I use olive oil. Now I sometimes eat olives. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I do allow a little bit of hundred percent sugar, no sugar, raw cacao into my diet. Okay. Also I do, um, drink coffee, which some carnivores don't drink coffee because it's a plant. I use herbs and seasonings. Some don't. I think it's really a personal experiment with what works for you and what doesn't. Now there's things like garlic and onions. If I eat them, am I going to die? No. But do I feel well? Absolutely not. Okay. I have a, I have a reaction, a response to them. Do I like cheese? Occasionally I will have cheese, but I can't eat it every day. First of all, a cheese is a trigger food for me. It's highly addictive because Uh, of the protein in cheeses. They're called casomorphines. mm -hmm. They're little protein molecules in cheese that make them like when people are like, I love cheese. I can't stop eating cheese. And there's a reason why. There's because the protein in there simulates the same area of the brain as morphine and opiates do. And so for me, I've got to be real careful with putting cheese in my diet because of the cravings that come back and the trigger it is for me to overeat and binge. Um, I, so yeah, that's kind of how I think I look at it. 
I was getting excited when you were talking about casein protein and, and the, the, dopamine, the dopamine effect that it has on the brain uh, yes. when it releases because there's actually – I've been writing a show that me and Joe are going to start talking about proteins in the near future with macronutrients, and that's one of the things I'm going to talk about. So I was, I was getting excited, and I almost I, – I, we could have went off in a completely different direction there uh, because that is absolutely 100% true um, when it comes to that particular type of protein. And so I totally get what you're talking about when it comes to being careful when you're eating those particular cheeses. But uh, what even is even more interesting is this. You said a few things there that almost leads right into the next question I, was, I, I wanted to ask you. And Joe, you play a big role in this one because you had a concern uh, in our show. On a few, the, a few uh, Well, you did. But, but let's stick with one at a time. I know you're <laughs> anxious. But um, you had a concern about, about the carnivore eating lifestyle when it comes to the lack of fiber intake. Maybe you can bring that up now because – I wanted to get back to that concept when we were doing the show and I listened to the show and I realized that when I said, we're going to get back to it, I never did. So I'm thinking this is a perfect opportunity. I always assumed when you said that you meant with Amber. Okay. Let's just go with that. Just yes. folks, forget I just said that. <laughs> go, 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 go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, no, basically uh, Amber, and I, I know you had heard that show already, but um, yeah, as you know, a few of my, my, well, I guess I, I don't want to say concerns like I'm, you know, this overly educated person on this whole thing. It's just, you know, uh, uh, I guess sparks my interest or or I'm curious about. Uh, I read all the time about fiber being huge for gut biome. I hear about it helping with cholesterol. Uh, and I'm wondering if, you know, not in not taking it in, are you seeing or, or do people see like, are you looking at higher than regular cholesterol levels or is it based upon the, the type of meat you're eating? So maybe not, how does that all work out? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. And I mean, a whole show could be done on this question alone because there's tons of research being done on this right now. Um, even under the keto, you know, mm -hmm. way of eating, you know, mm -hmm, we're seeing people eating higher fat diets and carnivore is not necessarily higher fat. Um, it's more moderate fat, um, but uh, depending on the time also. So I will tell you, as I, I actually have familial hypercholesteremia, which means that if I eat a high-fat diet, I am going to have a very high cholesterol um, genetically. Sure. Okay, so I have the gene snippets for that. Right. So I am called, a, what I'm, I'm called a lean mass hyper responder also because I'm a very lean individual. I'm mm -hmm. muscular. I don't show any of the other signs of someone you might typically think would have a um, poor cholesterol LDL specifically profile, right. Right. Um, lip, um, lipid profile. Now, when people go on a carnivore diet, even a keto diet, most people will see a short-term spike in their LDL cholesterol and LDL cholesterol is not all created equal. There's different types of particles that make up your LDL number that you get from the doctor. There's fluffy, right. there's fluffy particles that are more protective, like HDL, mm -hmm. and then there's dense particles that are more um, adhering to the walls of your vascular system that we would consider more dangerous and at risk for us, right? Is so that the, the, the VLDL that, that's on there? No, it's LDL. No, VLDL is separate from that. Okay, um, okay. But all but LDL, you could actually go to your doctor and say, I see my LDL is high, but give me a particle test. And they would say, okay, they might make you pay a little bit more because most insurance companies 
but they can split that LDL and look at the particle sizes and determine whether they're more at high at risk for damage or if they're actually protective, cardioprotective and vascular protective, if that makes sense. So all people that go high fat and protein, I would I shouldn't say all, but most people are going to see a short spike or a small spike in that LDL, but they're often going to see that their HDL increases into a healthier range or optimal range, and their triglycerides also go down into a really healthy range. Right, and, provided they're doing it correctly. Because I, yes. I, like you, I attempted keto and did basically the same thing, and no, it was just it was just all bad. <laughs> there was no there was no particle test needed. It was just I mean because I was eating basically cream cheese and fat bombs yeah. and more fat, you know, just nothing that that you know not the way it's supposed to be done. But I know what you mean. Yes, right. Well, and that that's that is true. I mean, we're talking about, you know, people that are aiming for real food. Um, and that was the thing that there's a lot of processed oils and vegetable oils and some of those foods. There's a lot their Oreos are vegan and people can call themselves a vegan and eat Oreos and you know, mm-hmm. so it's like what it what it means and looks like is up to the individual. You you guys talked about Wendy's hamburgers. Well, right. Wendy's hamburgers in a pinch, maybe that's not a big deal, but mm-hmm. Wendy's hamburgers, I mean for but it just shows people that if you're a truck driver and you're on the road all the time, hey, and if you're doing carnivore, maybe you can go to Wendy's. If it's an all beef patty, that might be what you do on the road. But mm-hmm. when you come home, it's better off to buy a higher quality meat or to buy a leaner cut if you're not going to buy a, a leaner cut or an or more farm raised cut. So the fiber, yes, the fiber, if you're a hyper responder in the cholesterol, um, LDL cholesterol, like I am, a little bit of fiber in the diet could benefit you in lowering your LDL cholesterol number. Okay. But um, fiber, unfortunately, you know, the recommended daily guidelines for Americans is, you know, between like the range of 22 to like 35 grams, mm-hmm. depending on the age group and your gender. But from the research that I've really done on this topic and specifically with the carnivore diet is that if you repeat a lie often enough, such as this one with fiber, people mm. are going to start to accept it as the truth. But fiber yes. is really not an essential nutrient. There's essential amino acids and there are essential fats in the diet that you need in order for every cell to function in your body and hormone and etc. But their fiber is not a requirement. And oftentimes fiber is just, it comes along with any fruit. It makes up the cell walls of fruits and vegetables. So anytime you eat that, you're going to get fiber. So what fiber does for people, it is increased, it creates is their fun- the the frequency of their bowel movements, but not not the function of their bowel. Uh, Does that make sense? You know, can you can you repeat that again? That's a very important point right there. Yes. Fiber does not improve bowel function or provide any really proven health benefits, but it does increase the frequency Uh, of your of your fecal matter. So think of the, think of the so, vegetarian. They're going to go yeah. to the bathroom maybe three to four times a day mm-hmm. because they're eating all of this fiber. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get off of medicines they might be on for their bowels or, you know, that their elimination of, and I hate to talk about poo, but poo is part of life. Yeah, yeah. It comes down to poo. So yeah. if the consistency of your poo isn't right, it doesn't matter if you're going frequently. Yeah. And and for somebody who has who you know who's suffering with IBS, I would venture to say probably not the best thing to be taking. Right. In. 
And that's the amazing thing. If you talk to someone with something like diverticulitis, I've talked mm-hmm. to people randomly. The more and more you walk around today, you'll talk to people and everybody's got a bowel issue. And that's that's not the way it used to be. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. people have bowel issues because the amount of crap food that we're eating and that we're being told is OK for us and good for us even. Yeah, we think is good for us. And so what's happening is all these people have all these inflammatory gut issues and diverticulitis and things like that. And their doctors, unfortunately, a lot of Western medicine doctors don't get a lot of nutritional education. Hopefully that's changing soon. Um, there are some subsets of doctors that are now getting interested in, in uh, you know, nutrition more so and, yes. and, and real nutrition and real food and knowing how to talk to their patients about this stuff. But they don't know. They tell people eat more vegetables if you have if you're constipated. And what happens to people that eat more vegetables when they're constipated? They feel more bloated and yeah. they feel worse. And when you go on a carnivore diet, you don't need the fiber because you don't have you don't have anything not to digest except for some of the leftover, you know, residue that you're getting out of the meats that you're eating, but you're really absorbing and digesting a lot of that. Your waste just slows down. You don't go as frequently when you're on a carnivore diet. And it's not, it's not like you're constipated though. You don't feel constipated. You just feel normal. Like you don't feel anything after you eat a meal. You don't feel bloated. You don't feel constipated. You just go to the bathroom every, you know, about 24 hours. Sometimes it it takes adaptation for everyone. It's a little different, depending, as you guys said in the last podcast, what kind of diet you're eating and way of eating you're coming to this diet with. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it really does come down to the the cut of meat as well. I mean, again, we're talking, uh, um, you know, uh, some great cut of steak as opposed to again and we said Wendy's burgers you know you're going to you're going to see two different uh results right well i blame i blame clara pella for for uh for that um um the little old lady in the where's the beef uh, commercial uh she's oh you're not going to do it that up. no you're i'm not, not doing, doing it, it. No, i okay. i refuse okay. um <laughs> But listen, when it comes to everything that we've heard so far, folks, let me tell you something. The old adage that you should always, if, if you're the smartest person in the room or if you take 10 people and you surround yourself with these people, never be the smartest person. That's why I put Amber and her husband, Michael, around me. Uh, I think I need to do it a little more often because I definitely learn so much. Uh, and you definitely realize you are not the smartest person in the room. That was fantastic. I did not actually know all of that about fiber. Um, and so I felt like I should have been taking notes that entire time. Uh, that was actually really good when it comes to really understanding fiber in its, you know, it, it, exactly in its role, I should say. Um, that was fantastic. But people, you know, not just fiber, people have concern about the nutrients, you know, where, where are we going to get our, our vitamins such as vitamin C from? And we talked about in that last episode on um, the carnivore eating lifestyle, Amber, if you remember, we talked about scurvy being a big thing back in the 1850s. <laughs> people were so worried about scurvy, you know, the sailors at sea for all those months because they weren't eating plants and, you know, vegetables and fruits. And is, is supplementation huge with this eating plan in order to make up for what many believe will be unsustainable because it's not it's not healthy in their mind. I mean, hundreds of thousands are doing this diet, they're, this eating lifestyle. I hate that word, this eating lifestyle. Yeah, yeah there, there's a reason they're doing it. And, and so is supplementation huge here or, or no? So I would say there's, again, that's a personal choice. And as I've done this longer, I, I have stayed with certain supplements. Um, 
And a good multivitamin can be helpful for people in general that mm-hmm. might have some concerns to be on a good multivitamin. Um, but I try to get as much as I can of my micronutrients through food. And so they can be helpful for people during the adaptation period. They can, you know, help be helpful, be helpful in optimizing certain nutrients that you want more of than you'd get just through your diet. Because vitamin C is going to be a little bit harder to um, extract from protein. Beef liver is going to be one of the highest um, with vitamin C uh, per 100 grams. Okay. Um, There is some in salmon roe. Uh, there's a little bit in like a steak, a fattier steak, but um, a lot of times I will um, use those foods as a supplement. I actually buy organic beef liver and then then I chop it into these little like rectangles and almost like a pill size and I okay. put them in my freezer in a little bag and I just take one or two of those with water during my meal so I get a little bit of the other nutrients because liver is like a superfood. Um so I I do take liver every day as a supplement just to kind of cover some of those bases. Um, but a lot of the carnivore diets cut out Um, many of the anti-nutrients. And so when I say this, if you guys don't know what that means, which a lot of people wouldn't understand what that means, but, but vegetables, okay. When you think about a vegetable, a lot of times kids won't eat them because they're bitter, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't taste good. So vegetables are oftentimes best when they're a carrier for butter or, or seasoning. Mm. Yeah, seasoning for my kids, seasoning right. is a, is a need, is a necessity, but yes. Right. And mm. when you ever, have you ever thought about why a vegetable is bitter? It's their defense mechanism so that they can live out in the wild. And that bitterness that a vegetable puts off, it's, it's a protective mechanism. We can like punch someone if we don't want to or run. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That plant has to sit there and can only give off these, um, you know, these, these, well, they're oxalates and like these bitter um, flavors in order for us to not want to eat them. But mm-hmm. we do. We do. We cook them. We make them palatable. We eat them raw. Well, there's things called oxalates and phytates um, and lectins, like when you think mm-hmm. about beans. Um, and those those are proteins and molecules that are meant to not to, to save them from being eaten. And we're taking those into our body. And oftentimes oxalates, which we also associate with kidney stones, they also um, crystallize these and um, some vegetables, not all, have mm-hmm. oxalates, but a lot of your green leafy vegetables have oxalates, and they can crystallize in your joints too. And that was one of the things that I noticed when I pulled out those um, kale and chard and green leafy vegetables specifically. A lot of those anti nutrients that were going into my bloodstream and into my body that were causing me more inflammation in my joints, they weren't there. And those anti nutrients also can block vitamin and mineral absorption. So oftentimes we think we're getting lots of other vitamins and minerals from foods, but because of some of these anti nutrients, mm-hmm. we're not actually absorbing the vitamins that we think we are. Also, the soils that those vegetables are planted in, 
they're cropped every single year. So those soils are often depleted of things like the nitrogen and magnesium and the things that those plants used to have uh, 10,000 years ago. Those plants were in soil rich with nutrients. And now those vegetables are planted oftentimes in soils that are deplete of nutrients. So you're not getting the vitamin C in the quantities that you would think you're getting from mm-hmm. the vegetables either. Yeah. You and, know? yeah. And uh, there's, there's so many shows that could come out of everything you just said. And actually, Joe, if you could remember, we briefly spoke about lectin on a show in season one in terms of plants and their defense mechanisms when it comes to, you know, you know if you think about it when they're defense mechanism against bugs, right? When bugs eat tomatoes, uh, lectin is a defense mechanism because it causes the digestive system of of the bug to basically explode uh and so basically that's the way a tomato tries to defend itself from bugs eating it obviously as humans our digestive systems are so much more uh complicated and advanced that we can get things like ibs from it because it, it will do that but we'll survive so to speak when it comes to lectin but it's interesting that you brought that up as one of those uh uh substances that cause these type of problems because obviously as you said the plants can't get up and run away if we actually see the plants running away we probably are taking a supplement that we shouldn't be taking uh (laughs) so so uh that was really good stuff i mean truly well, let me finish real quick, if I can, with the vitamin C specifically, sure. because it is a big issue. Sure. But um, what people don't experience on the carnivore diet is they they don't experience a lot of gut problems after the adaptation period, which can be different for everybody. I can go into that if you want me to later. But you see, like, improved gut function, you improved skin, energy, mood, and libido. So if that's a side effect, and muscle growth, of course, too, um, you feel stronger and better recovery after your workouts. But if that's a side effect of not having as much vitamin C in the body, like, I'd take that. But vitamin C is really very identical to glucose biochemically as a molecule. Mm -hmm. And glucose could reduce the availability and our need for vitamin C also. Also, because it's a high protein diet, you're getting an amino acid, excuse me. Mm, That's um, right. Yeah, amino acid called carnitine. And that also can lower the need for vitamin C as it helps with collagen synthesis, which is a primary function of vitamin C in you know, in a supplement or in food form. Um, but the needs may be lower because we have much higher levels of also uric acid eating a higher protein diet than other animals. And this can also serve as an antioxidant in the body when we're talking about vitamin C. So, um, and I, I mean, it's good, again, to take a multivitamin. I think supplements can be helpful. I think depending on many factors, it may be a good idea to use some type of supplements um, like a vitamin C or a multivitamin for 30 days to six months. And then you have to reassess all the time. Like I said, it's three years in for me and I've re- reincorporated vitamin and C also for my immune function and for um, um, also for energy, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So um, and vitamin D is something I always supplement with living where it's gray and cloudy. You know, yeah. Unfortunately. Yes. And omega threes, omega threes, even though I eat salmon a couple of days a week, I still want to be optimizing my DHA and EPA fatty acids from a fatty fish, you know, mm-hmm. so I take a supplement and, um, I use magnesium also, which is hard to get through um, a carnivore diet, but it's also hard to get through vegetables too because of the depleted soils I talked about. You, as you were just talking about, yes. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, no, you know, I actually I had one more questions here that I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Uh, sure. And, and and it's kind of a two part, but maybe you could just answer it all in once. Um, what would be like if if you're a calorie counter, right? So you know you can only eat so many calories, and this isn't really about whether or not that's an effective way to eat. Just to say, there is an end goal for your daily amount. So is there? A, are we looking at like what is the goal in how do you know when you're done eating for the day? I mean, you just have your three meals. Do you try to figure out how many grams of protein you should have for the day? Because I know that there's an equation where you can figure out per pound of body weight where you should be taking in. How do you figure out like when you're done for the day? Yeah. Are you asking me specifically? Um, I, I guess uh, yeah. in general, someone who's who's wanting to try the carnivore. Well, the nice thing about this way of eating, and even if you don't want to do a full-on hardcore carnivore meat, water, and salt, right? Mm-hmm, right. Um, you can still, this is what I always try to encourage people to do because I believe in muscle-centric medicine. And like sure. you introduced me as someone who I prior muscle is our biggest organ in the body. And the more we can sustain it, the longer in our lives, the mm-hmm. better able we're going to adapt and be able to survive and thrive. Mm. Um, so I tell people prioritize protein. If you learn nothing, prioritize protein. If possible, animal protein um, is optimal. And we should all be, especially as we get older, it's the 22-year-olds that don't need as much protein. As we get over about 35, we Mm -hmm. need more protein because of the the lack of synthesis and digestibility of some of these proteins. And we don't rebuild muscle as well, right? So we need a little more protein. But For me, I'll tell you how how it works. I do intermittent fasting, which you guys have talked about. And and I love that because, again, I don't have to worry or think about food. I I have a cup of coffee in the morning with heavy whipping cream. I am not hungry. I don't think about food. I like going to work. And then I have my first meal. And and in the beginning when I started, I I started with two, uh, two pounds a day. And I knew that I needed to find satiety. And for someone who has a binge eating disorder or cravings or is coming from a standard American diet, uh, we try to tell people when they start a a high protein diet is eat your protein first, eat to satiety. Nobody ever. Now I can eat meat fest. You know, I can Mm -hmm. like get the meat sweats and enjoy it and be like, oh yeah, but I won't eat for like 24 hours if I do that. Uh And see, that's the key. If you are a volume eater or a binge eater, or you like to eat um, food, then this way of eating stops because when you eat protein and healthy fat together, the hormones leptin and ghrelin, which are your primary appetite and hunger hormones, mm-hmm. they, they, they receive this sensor in the, in the stretch receptors of your stomach that go to the brain and tell your body, stop eating, push the plate away, put the fork down, and you don't have to, to worry about it. It happens naturally. If you ever try to eat just protein for one meal and you eat to your heart's desire, you will get to a point where you're like, I'm done. I'm done. No, I'm good. And then you don't think about food. In the beginning, it may be good to eat to complete satiety so that you can transition and not feel hungry and get over some of the cravings and reductions of sugar and carbs in your diet if you go through that withdrawal. But after a while, your set point changes. 
now I eat about a pound a day, but there's days because I train, I might eat a little more naturally. I just kind mm-hmm. of know, I just kind of, I, I like fasting because when I sit down to eat, you know what? It doesn't matter what I'm eating. I love it. Because when you fasted for 18 hours and you're ready to eat, you're hungry. You know what real hunger is. So I enjoy my meals. I love my food. And I like eating a volume of food. So I eat about a pound. I've had a pound of of meat today already. I had um, eight ounces of chicken and eight ounces of brisket today for lunch. And I probably won't eat again today because I'm really um, satiated at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have sometimes experimented with two meals where I eat like a pound of lean. If I eat lean fish, if I eat a pound at lunch, I'm hungry at dinner because it's lean fish. Mm -hmm. So I have to add fat sometimes. So that's the way to look at it is it's, it evolves. It changes. Your body changes every day. Your needs change your activity levels, like the winter and the weather and, you know, your palate changes and, And so I just, I think you get more in tune with that the more you do it. But in the beginning, it might be better to eat enough so you can break free of whatever it is that you're, if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to get off sugar, if you're trying to heal, be more strict. If you have arthritis or a, you know, a pain or a digestive issue, be more regimented and strict and then slowly incorporate one food at a time give it a couple days see how your body responds like i do well with eggs but not the whites only the yolks okay so the whites are carnivore quote they're an animal but the the yolks are okay digestive wise the whites bother me a little bit more i get a little more inflammation i get a little bit um, of achiness in my fingers and things like that um but it's totally it's totally up to that certain individual you know when but i would experiment with playing with instead of calories i do i do eat in the beginning i would try to maintain about 175 grams of protein a day which is more than my body weight because i was training also um now i eat maybe 150 grams a day so the goal then is basically it is to figure out what your grams are uh, uh, per per pound, and and of course it's going to differ based upon people if they're training or not or lifestyles. Uh, you know, yeah, it, it, it'll differ for each person. But right, like I said, I was just using an example as far as calories. Okay, and then the second part of the question, sorry, I believe you were actually going to hit on that one. Well, yeah, I actually I want to point out something here. I think a, a study that basically wraps this entire show up today. Um, uh, Amber, in 2021, there was a study by Harvard University, which I think you were a participant in. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. And it was, I I don't know, was there, was there over 2000 participants over a six month time period? Yeah, it was in 2020. Um, starting in March for six okay. months, there was over 2,000 participants, uh, about average age of around 44 years of age, male and female mixed. And they were um, six months on a carnival, at mm-hmm. least 70% adherence. Okay. 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 So that's pretty um, lenient, too. 
you know, okay. where they're just prioritizing protein. Um, and so what they came out, and this is what was the first study that's been done strictly on the carnivore diet, um, is that they found that about 90% of people in the study reported a full resolution or significant improvement in all diseases that were asked about in the study, that 100% of the diabetics came off their injectable medications. That was my favorite one. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. That's but, unbelievable. And yeah. Like, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be full carnivore. It really doesn't. There can be room if you work with a health professional or a health coach like myself. Like mm -hmm. I work with people on, on working the way up to improving their way of eating, you know, and prioritizing um, proteins and healthy fats. And and for most people, it's going to include vegetables, right? This is this is extreme, but it's been extremely helpful for a lot of us. And that's Absolutely. How I like to look at it. It's extreme, but if you're at a point where you are sick and and debilitated and and just have a lot of those issues that you can't get any help from, it's worth looking at and doing it right and looking at how and doing that how to do that right. Yeah, yes. so, and that's exactly what I was going to uh, ask you. I, I knew Tony was going to bring this in. Um, if you remember last uh, when we first talked about this, my biggest thing was always about sustainability, right? And how you know doing things to an extreme could be very hard for somebody just starting out. But here, even through this study that you were in, it just goes to show what you what you've been saying all along. It's more about prioritizing uh, uh, the protein, and and if you need to make some room, you can. And look, there's still these great results, even if you're a little lenient on the way that you do it, right? Correct. Yes. And like on average, 20, uh, most people on average lost around 20 pounds. Yes. Their mm -hmm. inflammatories markers decrease significantly. There's one called C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker that your doctor can order for you to show you if you're at risk for heart issues and disease. And that is goes down um, under one, which is fabulous for most people. Um, people are able to get off their insulin and come off of oral medications for diabetes diabetes. And then there is um, another website that might be of interest. It's called Meet RX, M-E-A-T-R-X, which is all personal stories um, that are listed of people just like me who have mm -hmm. written their story and said, this is what has, how this has helped me. And it's categorized by disease or issue and problem, you know, which is just amazing. If people want to read more about that and how it's helped them. Um, and then I can be reached. I'm on Instagram at carnivore chick and I'm at Twitter at, at holistic Amber. So you guys can put that in there if yeah. anybody ever wants yeah. to contact me about it. Yeah. So, Joe, what I think we can do is we could put both her Instagram and her Twitter account in the description uh, of the I'll podcast. Put, I, I can actually put links to her account that they can yeah, click on and go straight yeah. to it. And so there's that. And also, if possible, I have this study here in front of me. And if we can get that link in the description as well uh, for anybody who wants to look at these fantastic uh, findings, because if you can recall in the show we did a couple episodes ago, I said that at, since 2019, there was not much research uh, as far as standard scientific research was concerned. It was more just about certain studies uh, that were done where people were just giving their life stories. But this right here is based on scientific research by Harvard University and more concrete information uh, given. And so it really gives people an idea of uh, concrete numbers, 
that we're finding percentage wise uh, of these 2000 plus participants and, and how it has improved their life uh, from a metabolic health standpoint uh, over the past uh, six months plus. Uh, so if we can get a link also in the podcast, that would be great. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Amber, we cannot thank you enough, folks. If you didn't get all the knowledge you need today about the not only the carnivore eating lifestyle, but so many more things that are going on in our bodies and why it may or may not be an avenue for you, it can't hurt to try something that is showing so many beneficial results. Uh, and if it's not for you, there's other things out there. And so, like I said, on Two Brothers, One Mike, this is what we're doing. So uh, I could tell you this, Amber, we are definitely going to be reaching out to you from time to time on Two Brothers, One Mike. We would love to do a plethora, my favorite word, of (laughs) of shows with you. Uh, If that's okay with you, thank you so much for, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on and both of you being great hosts. I appreciate you and we'll talk to you guys soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Amber. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Joe, I I mean, when I, I, yes, yes, we know her on, on a personal level, Mm -hmm. but it just shows you the passion she has for helping people. And the reason why folks in that introduction, the reason why I wanted to make sure I got all that in there, when I when I gave that lengthy introduction is because that is truly her passion in life. I've known her for a long time now. And I really want anybody who listened to this show, don't be afraid to go back and listen to it again and listen to what she's saying. Uh, because she's truly trying to explain to you what could be beneficial to you. And I think I think it helped uh, it helped me out a lot. There's certain things there. It, and again, it's why I always say if you're the smartest person in the room, leave the room. Um, she she provided us today with a great amount of benefit. Absolutely. And that's why he asked me to be on the show, folks. Anyways, let's talk about <laughs> next week's show. <laughs> so we're going to be having an interview with Dr. Nicole Rintilla. And we're going to head back into the whole idea of integral fear and what it's all about and also what her take is. And on how we should handle this emotional dilemma. So yeah. that's what we're going to be talking about next yeah. week. Yeah, and that was the, you know that was the show, uh, the best you when we talked about integral fear, and I think uh, that's going to be a fantastic interview as well. Yep, definitely looking forward to it. So, until then, I want to remind all of you: be sure to give us a review on your favorite podcast service. Also, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, or opinions, you could leave us a voice message via the link in this episode's description. For our Spotify listeners, remember you can interact with us through either polls or questions that we offer in each show's description. And finally, remember to join us each week as we release new episodes every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, on behalf of Coach Tony and myself, thanks for listening. Thanks out there, everybody. We will see you again soon. Be 